Welcome to Practice That, podcast for the practice manager. Today's Tuesday, the 9th of November, 2021. I'm Ann Davis, faculty manager with the RACGP. And with me again is George Satiris. Today, it's about creating employment foundations that support us as practice managers and also employers. George, lovely to have you back again. Thank you again, Anne. It's a privilege to be here. So as a reminder, firstly, George, Director of Health Industry Employment Services, lots of experience, lots of information, lots of knowledge. And also just a reminder that he's providing general information today. And it's important if you do have issues, something that you need assistance with, to seek advice about your individual situation. So let's just have a think about this concept of employment foundations. The relationship between employers and employees in the health sector is forever challenging and, you know, as we've seen, evolving all the time. Tell us about those foundations. What are they? What's a foundation, Anne? Oh, and this is something that I suppose has taken me years to understand and, and develop the importance of a foundation, especially if we're managing my own staff. I think it is so crucial that as employers, we have those professional boundaries. But what what are the foundations that we're talking about? So I think the simplest way to break down what our employment foundations are, look at the underpinning relationship. So we first off look at our compliance with the Fair Work legislation. So that's understanding our awards, understanding the national employment standards, knowing what the fair work process actually is. That's your first foundation. And I feel that practices to get that right is is extremely complex and, and time consuming because the awards always change. They're not easy to read. And if we start with that first foundation incorrectly, and if staff are underpaid and you don't have the right systems, you're already on the wrong foot. And yeah, for anyone who's struggling with the awards and and compliance side, it is something that get the right support because it's taken me 14 years to have the knowledge and understanding of those awards that, that I do today. So when managers are managing all the different areas in their practice, it's a really hard thing just to pick up overnight. And also a number of awards. I mean, the Nurses Award has got quite a number of different elements to the Health Services Support Award as well. Yeah, exactly right. And that that comes back to, you know, nurses get five weeks annual leave instead of four. So, you know, little things like that come from those provisions. So, but we also find that practices that have issues with compliance of the awards and legislation, then when they look at their other foundations, and we'll move on to our next one. So your second foundation is your employment contracts. If you do not have a solid understanding of your compliance with the awards, when you then look at your employment contracts, it's very likely that you enter into it with the incorrect understanding around the remuneration terms. You know, are you trying to be award compliant? Are you paying allowances, penalty rates, overtime, any loadings, the annual leave loading? So you need to establish that from the awards first, and then you transition into the contract side of things and, and employment contracts themselves are forever changing i've i've never seen the evolution or in in the last 12 months or 24 months actually 
we've seen our contracts evolve about three or four times. And that's because we have now new mandatory health requirement clauses. So it's a very easy way to tackle staff that don't want to be vaccinated or new staff coming on board to be directed to be vaccinated. So that's a key consideration that's recently changed. Also, all of the casual versus permanent part-time issues. So as a result of the Rosado cases, so contracts, casual contracts have significantly varied. So I think looking at good contracts, you need to have very clear and simple terms that underpin all the rates, hours of work, compliance with provisions like confidentiality, misconduct, and, and just have that clear boundary. Because once you've got your awards right and it's reflected correctly in your contracts and you have all those nice contractual terms that really you're only really going to rely on when there's a significant breach or issue, it makes your decision making very easy to make if there's a breach of a contract. So you've mentioned about changes that you would be making with the employment contract. What's the process? Do you issue everyone with a new one? I mean, how does that work? Because, you know, I might be on my contract and I've been on it for, you know, a couple of years and then there's a new clause. How do you manage that with me? Because I've got an old contract. Yeah, and, and yet again, looking at the circumstances, if, if the contracts are very out of date, look, there is no issue with obviously issuing a new contract to a staff member if it's a new template obviously you might get some resistance but we generally find understanding what the concerns are making amendments customizing particular provisions that staff may not be happy with always end in a contract being signed so as long as they understand that the employment terms and conditions like hourly rates hours and other key provisions are not varying and they're not disadvantaged by the contract update we generally don't see a lot of issues It sounds like you're using it as an opportunity to actually talk to the individual and just, you know, make sure that they understand about the conditions of the contract and making sure that they suit their situation as well. Exactly right. And and you need to educate and ensure that the staff understand what they're signing. But we generally find that most staff will just sign contracts without reading them, which obviously is a concern in itself. I get a bit of a buzz out of when staff do read it and question things because I think it's good that staff have an understanding of what they're signing. But in the end of the day, there's never an issue in the sense of we always do things by the book. We try to do things as best as possible. And if there are things that are missed or they disagree with, we'll happily take that on board and resolve whatever issue they might have with the agreement. Okay, so number one's compliance, number two's employment contract. What's the next one? So the next point comes back to our employment policies and procedures. I know, and I'm a little bit, I love employment policies and procedures. It's such a weird and funny thing. But what we look at, it's not so much looking at your, you know, 50 policies you might have in place and, you know, making sure that they're there. It's, it's all about having employment policies that are specific to your practice and that address your key concerns. So we have roughly around 14 key employment policies that go through bullying, harassment, discrimination, social media, confidentiality, you know, personal appearance and so forth. So we we have key policies that when you have significant issues in those areas, you can ultimately address it. I forgot to mention a code of conduct as well. (laughs) 
we call it a respect in the workplace policy, but if you do not have a code of conduct, it is something that is really the only policy that assists us in dealing with behavioural and conduct-related issues. So very useful. But yet again, this framework or this foundation isn't so much about what you have in the drive or your printed folder behind the front desk or in the manager's room. We need to look at how we implement it. So Fair Work has a very clear stance that if you as a employer or a manager do not bring life to these policies, if you do not do regular training, if it's not a regular discussion, you know, if you haven't done something for a couple of years on it, if a staff member breaches it, the chances of you being able to actually rely back on that policy to say, well, you've breached it, we're going to fire you or issue you a warning may be deemed to be harsh or unreasonable. That's a really good way of looking at things. Are they alive? Have you brought life to these policies? Excellent tip. Thank you. And we will find that practices will always induct. We find that most staff are always inducted on their foundations, the employment policies, the processes. But where we find a lot of practices slowly miss the point is that there's no regular reinforcement. There's no ongoing development or training or or reinforcement of those processes. So you need to do regular training. If you have your standard meetings with your staff on a fortnightly, monthly basis, have standard agendas which talk about your policies and where they're located. You need to make sure they're easily accessible. So that's our, our third foundation is our employment policies. And that should also tie into your handbook, which is your day-to-day procedures for your staff on, you know, how they do recalls, how they book patients in, how they manage the day-to-day running of the practice. So, George, we've looked at these foundations. So we have compliance, employment contract and employment policies. I'm really keen to understand how these employment foundations enable creation of effective management processes. Can you give us some examples? Yeah, definitely. So... From a manager's perspective, having our systems of compliance, our contracts and and effective and clear employment procedures in place allow for a clearer decision-making framework when there are underperformance-related issues, behavioural issues, because you spend the time in building your foundations and, as I love to say, it creates that essence of accountability. So when staff are deviating from those professional boundaries and guidelines, practices are then able to make clearer and quicker decisions because you're not then coming to me with a scenario saying, George, you know, this staff member has done something wrong or or has not followed our procedures or processes. What do we do? You're then able to say, well, George, the staff members breached this process. We did a training on this date. You know, we'd communicated in this way. You know, do you think a warning is the right step to take? So you've then bypassed the process of saying, well, okay, we now need to go back and reinforce all the processes, procedures and systems without the foundations. Whereas if you have them in place, you can make effective or clearer and quicker decisions with regards to what process you do to manage them. You don't happen to have a a war story that you can tell us where it's all gone wrong. Well, I suppose at the moment, we've had a lot of practices down in Victoria who have obviously been putting through issues with mandatory vaccinations and 
putting systems in place. So I think this is probably a great scenario to say that we um, had a practice that introduced a policy and process in line with the mandatory vaccination procedures to obviously say if you're not vaccinated, you cannot come in. So they implemented the procedure and process and the practice. They followed the advice of their medical defence organisation as well to make sure it's all fine and in line with the mandate and that everything was documented perfectly. However, the staff member thought it was an attack that I'm not getting vaccinated. This isn't on me. You know, you're just creating all these rules and processes and trying to make me sign these procedures but you're just trying to get rid of me from the workplace. So this is such a, I suppose, a simple concept when you think about the mandate with vaccinations. But what ended up happening, the staff member got stood down and claimed that the practice had terminated them, which wasn't the case. The process and the procedure that the practice had implemented with their foundations was that you're not allowed to step foot in the facility as a result of not being vaccinated, we've done our risk assessment, you know, we've looked at all of our WHS processes and they put time into their foundations to make it clear. So they've now lodged an unfair dismissal against the practice. And in this scenario here, Anne, the practice has used their employment foundations to say, well, no, your contract wasn't terminated. We had a very clear process and procedure with regards to how we're handling staff in line with the mandate that aren't vaccinated and not being able to work in the facility. And they're ultimately using that through the process of this unfair dismissal to defend their case. You have a scenario here that has just blown out of nothing and ended up in fair work. Wow. But they, they had all the evidence. They had all the documentation. They had their foundations. That's excellent. So not every practice manager that's listening is going to have all these lovely foundations and elements and documents. So what advice do you give a practice manager if, if they've not ever reviewed or assessed their current employment foundations? Where should they start? Look, this is, it's a big task and, and, you know, I'll sit there with a practice for five hours reviewing all these elements. But if you've never, I suppose, reassessed or if you're new to a practice or if you're setting up a new practice, what you always want to assess and review is your compliance with the legislation. That's number one. Break down the HPSS award, break down the nurses award, understand your compliance with the national employment standards and make sure your payroll's right. So that has to be, as part of our Employment Foundation review, one of the first considerations we always look at because our compliance with the law then tells us what we need to do in our contract. So once you've done that review, you, you look at your contracts of employment to make sure it reflects all of the award compliance. So as a good tip for everyone listening, you want to make sure that your contracts, your awards and your payroll are all talking to one another. And that's a very simple concept, but whoever's processing payroll, if they don't know what's in the contract or if they don't know what's in the award, it's very likely that there's going to be errors in your payroll. And this is coming back to those foundations. So I think the first point is to review those systems and processes and they're from your employment procedures, do your regular training to then understand where those efficiencies can be made. But I think start with the legislation and what you have control and what you know you can directly look at and look at your compliance with. 
even though it's a big area, starting just taking that breath and looking at those compliance things. That's really good advice. Thank you. The final tip I'll have to say is if you want to consider all of your employment foundations, break down your award compliance contracts, employment policies and procedures, WHS and privacy. So they're the five key employment foundation areas we consider that all practices need to have a system and framework in place. I think it does sound a bit big and scary if you haven't done anything, but it's good to have that structure ahead. George, thanks again. Lovely talking to you. My pleasure. Thank you, Anne, for having me. That brings us to the end of this podcast. Till next time, goodbye and be kind to each other.